podcast. Today, I have one of my heroes, Dr. Joel Furman, and he's here to share with us um, about his new program and uh, center that I'm also involved in, the Dr. Furman's Health Oasis. How are you doing this evening, Dr. Furman? Doing terrific. Thank you for joining me. I, I know you've been super busy. <laughs> We're very excited to have you here. All right. So first of all, um, can you tell us first just a little bit about the Nutritarian Diet and how that concept came about so we can learn a little bit about that and then we'll go into more about the health oasis? Sure. Okay. Well, a Nutritarian Diet is designed to give humans the nutrients they need without taking excess toxins, excess calories, things that couldn't impair their health. In other words, as humans, we need to have a broad spectrum of nutrients, including phytochemicals and antioxidants, and many of them have not even been discovered yet. To get the maximum amount of these nutrients our immune system need, or the right amount, we need to eat a variety of foods, and we need to eat a variety of foods that contain a significant nutrient load. So we have to get what we call it is micronutrient adequacy. That means enough micronutrients to support optimal health and longevity. And you have to achieve that those level of nutrients without exceeding your requirements for calories because both the lack of nutrients can reduce human lifespan and the and excess calories can also reduce human lifespan. So the question is, we're puzzling here now, a puzzling problem. How do we get people enough micronutrients without exceeding or without getting excess calories they don't need? And the answer is there's only one way. We have to choose foods that have a good nutrient per calorie density, and we have to eat enough of those foods in our diet and not consume an excessive amount of foods that are low in nutrients and high in calories. And the American diet, of course, is the, how should I say, perfect diet to create a nation of obese, sickly, cancer-prone, diabetic-prone, heart disease-prone humans because it's designed to maximize disease and to minimize longevity because we eat 85% of our diet from low-nutrient, high-calorie foods. Most of them are processed foods or animal products. Mm. So we eat a very small amount of high-nutrient plant foods that enable the, immune, the human immune system to function normally. So essentially... The question is, how would you design a diet if your goal was not to sell for popularity, not to sell more books or not to um, give people what they want to hear, but how would you design a diet, or anybody out there design a diet, if they wanted to maximize health and human longevity? Mm -hmm. And that's what this is about. And then the question is, once you design a diet for maximizing healing, reversal disease, longevity, optimal weight, lifespan, then the question is, can you make it palatable? Can you make people want to do it? Can you get rid of people's food addictions? Can you make people prefer to eat this way? And is it practical? Or is this just some pie-in-the-sky idea that nobody's ever going to do? And the interesting point, and we've proven this in medical studies on the nutritarian diet, is that when you give people micronutrient adequacy and you feed them healthy enough, their taste improves, their smell improves. They lose their drive to overeat calories they actually enjoy eating natural foods, and the combination of learning the right way to prepare the foods and all these new techniques we have to make um, healthy food taste delicious, in conjunction with the improvement of taste, the power of the taste improvement, they're getting used to the flavor of natural foods and, and especially the way we prepare them. And the loss of that addictive drive and the feeling ill of weakness and fatigue and anxiety that goes along with being addicted to unhealthy foods. So what I'm saying is, all the pieces of the puzzle fit together so people can do it. Mm. They can succeed, and the most self-satisfying, rewarding experience 
is to watch people transform their health, to watch these health makeovers occur where people don't just lose 60 to 100 pounds, but they get rid of their rheumatoid arthritis, they get rid of their lupus, they get rid of their asthma, they get rid of their diabetes, they get rid of their chronic headaches, they get rid of their chronic pain. We see people's health improve so mark remarkably that, that all of us, you included, become so enthusiastic and excited mm -hmm. about being doctors because it's so thrilling to watch people get well. Right. For me, it's the addicting. I tell people, I said, this is like veggie crack for me. I get the dopamine hit when yeah. people get better. Exactly. You've got this life. You have, I'm highly you know. addicted to it. <laughs> right. And I'll do whatever it takes to get my next hit. So <laughs> so, um, so, why can't a patient just simply read your books and do it themselves? Why do you think that it would be helpful to have a center like what you're describing with the Dr. Furman's Health Oasis? Right. Well, they can just read the books and do it themselves. And millions of people have done that. And obviously... Um, but the problem is s people have such strong food addictions and they have emotional overeating and their physical addiction is so powerfully and the pulls of society are so strong because people are not pumping them on the back and rah-rah say, yes, you got to do this. They're, being, mm -hmm. they're trying to sabotage them because they're food addicts too. Right. So it's very difficult to do with this in today's society. And even though you could say I've helped and my work has helped thousands of people, there's still the vast majority of people who found out about it and were not helped by it. Mm. And they're not helped about it, uh, by it because the work wouldn't have helped them. It's because something, in they, some impediments, some obstacles stood in their pass, path where they couldn't implement it mm. successfully. And by having a facility where people can be shown to do this in a residential facility where you can show them how great it tastes, where you can teach them the program, because this is very how should I say, scholarly to understand how this works because the scholarly parts really motivate people to do it. Mm -hmm. But also, there's emotional and physical addiction that comes along with eating conventional food. And only in an inpatient residential facility, I should say, even can we really allow these people to get rid of their addiction, to train them emotionally and, and physically to get rid of those feelings of feeling of, of hunger and fatigue and mental fog and all the attraction to... to that interferes with the, with doing this. In other words, we can assure compliance under a, under a medically supervised situation, take people that are very um, medically ill, mm -hmm. get them back well again. Right. We can make, how should I say, diabetic medications and, and high blood pressure medications and cholesterol drugs obsolete. We can make coronary artery bypass surgery and angioplasty obsolete. We can make um, gastric bypass surgery obsolete because a residential facility that can assure compliance and teach people and stay connected with them for a long enough period of time with the right type of care mm -hmm. to show them how they can do this and prefer to do it and live with it comfortably and deliciously for the rest of their life mm -hmm. with the type with implementing is the, is the missing piece of the puzzle that I didn't have before mm -hmm. that could really guarantee these very sick people can get well and to have physicians from all across the country be able to refer their patients to a facility like this, knowing the person's going to come out 50 pounds lighter without heart disease, without diabetes, without rheumatoid arthritis, you know, would really, really heal them. Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited about this. I'm excited that you're part of, part I, of this. I, thank you. I, 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 it's like a dream job for me. I still pinch myself going, am I really here working with Dr. Furman and just the wonderful staff we have here? Is, it's an incredible, it's a, it's a God thing for sure. So how do I know if I, if let's say a, a patient would be questioning themselves, like how would they know they actually have a, maybe a food-related problem that would benefit from something like this? How do, how do they like something click in their head that this is really going to be something they should come and pursue? 
Well, you know, let's look at this for a second, a few minutes, because first of all, I think that a nutritarian diet is the only way people should be eating, and I think it should be reading, writing, arithmetic in our educational system and, food and nutritional science, because the most critical things we don't know about or we've been misinformed about is what controls our precious health and our mental attitude and our intelligence and our ability to get memory loss with aging and, and get cancer. And now we have had such advances in nutritional science that have occurred in the last 20 years that people don't have to get cancer. They don't have to get heart disease. They don't have to get demented when they get older. They don't have to be on these dangerous medications for the rest of their life. They don't have to have invasive medical procedures. They can control their health destiny. And I think the vast majority of, of our population, if they really knew all this information and they knew how delicious it could taste, if they knew that they would be able to protect themselves and add 20 years to their life, good years, quality years, you'd have to be insane not to do it. And it's hard for people to do it, that I admit, and I recognize that. And we're making it potential for people to do this. So any person who is still overweight after learning about good nutrition and doesn't seem to be able to do this on their own, well, come in, we're gonna make, we're gonna make it effective for you. You know, so there, you know, what the question is, there are people that smoke cigarettes. Do those people continue to smoke? What if we built a facility that had really, was super effective for people to be able to quit smoking where they would never want to smoke cigarettes again? Well, should these people who smoke still smoke? No, they should come in and get well and not get off their cigarettes. Right. You know, so these people have yo-yo dieted. They're suffering with conditions like high blood pressure. They're, they know their parents have maybe had heart attacks or dementia or strokes or cancer. They know where they're heading. They're blocking, they're scared. You don't have to show people all the illness and disease and sickness around them. They see it happening just like you and I see it. But they don't know they have a, they don't know they could get well. They don't know it's how, how possible it is for them to save themselves for a much better quality of life. And so I think that people who are overweight and who are and thinking about their health and want to do better for themselves and use this as an opportunity with what we've put together here to, to set them on a new path to wellness really could change the course of their future health, their future destiny, can change the course of their life, and really open up a whole new life for themselves without fear and without invasive medical procedures and without the tragedies and the horrors that before most Americans, because really our medical system is a failure. It's, it's, it's risky, it's dangerous, it doesn't really work. I agree 100%, mm. definitely. Wow, I feel like we're doing is groundbreaking. I mean, we're developing an entire different model of d uh, delivering healthcare yes. in a in a sensible manner that's it's it's amazing. So when someone is uh, thinking about coming here, what can we do to help them understand the concept of the Dr. Furman's Health Oasis? What how how did it come about? Like what how did this this model get you know brought to you, and what do you? I guess, what are those missing pieces that, you know, you kind of describe them, but what exactly, when they approach the Dr. Furman's Health Oasis, what are we going to be doing that's so unique that's going to draw people in? Yeah. And, you know, I've been thinking about this for decades. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. And, you know, I even had it when I, in my career, I had a guest house where people came in and stayed for months from around the country. For years I did that in my practice, you know, in my, throughout my 25 years being a, a family doctor specialized in nutrition. Wow. But, you know, and I looked for the right people and the right avenue and the right facility, but you can't just plunk $20 million down and buy a hotel, whatever Why it is. Why not? You know, <laughs> but, you know, but this really appealed to me because putting the really professionalism, the staff together, 
yourself, but also the psychologists, the therapy, the, the therapists we have, the people who are now kind of like joined on and accepted both the this nutritarian approach to living and the psychological impediments for people succeeding with this approach and marrying all these different components together to assure success and to really care for people in a way that's going to um, feel to move people in their hearts, in their brains, in their intellect. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a, you know, so we can accomplish so much more here working with, a, with the right kind of professional baseball team. To be a success, to win a World Series, you've got to put the right components together. You have to have the best pitching staff. Mm -hmm. You know, you want it. So I feel that, wow, I'm really putting together the right components of all these individuals who we need to make this work and really make it work effectively. And so we get the best results. People are in safety. They're in a controlled environment. We can accept people that have that are really somewhat risky. You know, we have people that could be at risk of heart attack or at risk of, you know, with um, diabetic problems. We could take people who have, who are slated for, who might be having macular degeneration or diabetic retinopathy, developing eye problems. And we could show, you know, we, we could take people who are getting neurologic problems that are, that are at risk of losing a leg for amputation. That would be people with cardiovascular circulatory problems that are having chest pain with exertion who are told they need urgent bypass surgery. We could take people that, um, are too sickly to even consider surgery, mm -hmm. who have needed, needed joint replacement who, and, and need to lose weight prior to their surgery for joint replacement. We can really have the facility in place. We can take people and care for them in a way that's safe and effective and send them back home again, tr with tr completely transform their life and transform their health. I agree, and I think the neat thing about where we are is we've got so many different individuals. One, they've actually been following the nutritarian diet themselves for years, so they have seen their own transformation, but then they have these years of specialty with the therapist, and I mean, it's just an amazing melu of individuals that we've brought together that are all congelated. It's just, it's a it's a really magical thing that's happening. It's really fun to be a part of, so it's, it's amazing. So as far as the type of patient, so we've talked about you know, uh, diabetics and heart disease patients, what other patients do you feel would benefit? I mean, is there a limit to what type of person or patient that could come here? You know, we were kind of talking about these very sick people that can come here and get well again. But keep in mind that almost all people out in America, people don't realize this, but most of our population over the age of 60 are taking medications for high blood pressure and high cholesterol or diabetes. And those people should be all be here. The, uh, you know, those people could be here, and they shouldn't be on their drugs. They should be. They should be. Their doctor should say, "Go away to Doctor Perman's Health Oasis for a month. You won't, and you and you'll learn how to stay off drugs and stay well the rest of your life. Because drugs are not going to get rid of your diabetes. Not, the blood pressure medications cause cancer, and the diabetic medications can accelerate your death. And they're not telling them. That they're not giving them informed consent. And you know what? There are people who. How should I say this? There are people who have pain, who have di who have he chronic headaches who have chronic inflammation, and they're given all types of crazy modalities that don't get them better. But the other thing here, one thing I want to say is this, that people don't recognize, is that in America, most people die of heart disease and strokes, and the second most leading cause of death after that is cancer. And most adult Americans have cancer, and it's not diagnosable 10 or 15 years before the mammogram may diagnose it. Let me say that again, okay? That now we have new tests available 
blood tests that can detect cancer 10 years before mammogram scan. And what we're finding out is that the majority of adult Americans already have cancer. They can, and it's not diagnosable yet because these tests are very new and they're in experimental state. They're in still not the publicly available. But the technology is here today. We're using them in, in research studies, and we're using them early as diagnostically too. Um, that we can diagnose cancer at a way, way earlier stage. But what, why do that? What do you do for a person if they have cancer? What if you have, I find out that you have an early stage of breast cancer, but there's not a lump there. There's nothing to find on a mammogram or an MRI or an ultrasound to take out or to cut off. Should you just cut off your breasts or could you cut off people's prostates? Or what should we do? Because most of these cancers are so early that they don't have to advance to cancer. The point that I'm making is that if we can get people eating healthy at a younger point in life before these diseases get so advanced, the earlier in the, in the stage of the pathology, the more probability it has to go back the other way. So we have to intercede in people's lives with information and education to let them know that they have to change their life and they can come down here and learn about this. They don't have to be so sickly yet, but we can intercede at a place before they get sick, before they get to a life-threatening condition, and it's most effective then. And don't forget, about 45% of people that have had heart attacks and die don't know they have heart disease. They die on the spot with their first heart attack. Why wait till you have heart disease? Get in here, learn about this. Sure, they could read my books, and a lot of very intelligent, motivated, and successful individuals do this successfully without coming to a facility and then living it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people, that's not enough for. And the more you know, spokes of the wheel we expose them to, you know, other people, video, inf and the more input they have to really get well to really get thoroughly educated, informed, to live it, to learn it, and to deal with their, the tr their retraining of their body to prefer it, the higher the probability is it's going to stick with them and they're going to be. And, all, you know, and also the fact that we've set up this system where we stay in contact and, and with these people after they leave here. So it's really, a sh for me, it's for a person I really care about and really want them to get well, I can put them in a safe place that can assure their success and make sure that they're really going to learn about this properly and do it. And it could say be forced to do it, but they're going to leave here and want to do it. You know what I mean? Right. So right. I feel like I'm protecting people that I care about. And, I, and so, and, and, and now we have it open that people can join in and, and take part of this. Right, absolutely. That's amazing. So if they have, so if someone hears this podcast and they're interested, do they have to be referred by their doctor, personal physician, or can they just be self-referrals? Is that what we're going to be able to do? Yes, we can do both. But we certainly are on a mission to inform physicians about the availability of this option because I think myself that every doctor in America should be able to advise their patients, no, you don't have to have angioplasty or bypass surgery. No, you don't have to be on these diabetic medications the rest of your life. If you want to, you could get well from it. I just had a doctor talk to me the other day that told me that he's into my work using a nutritarian diet in his practice. He's been talking it up in Kaiser Permanente in California. He's been speaking to other doctors, and they kind of ignore him and yes him and, you know, and, and say it's not for me, but I understand you're getting good results. Finally, one of the doctors in the nearby um, suite, the medical suite, had a patient that had to have his leg cut off due to chronic infections from diabetes, and he's going to have to be amputated. And the, doctor, and the guy said to him, 
I will do anything if I could save my leg. Anything in the world, isn't there any way I could save my leg? So the guy said, well, I'll tell you what. Go next door to my friend. He has this crazy diet from Dr. Furman. It may help you. Right? So, so he goes next door. He sees the doctor. He gets his, he gets his stop. The infection gets better. His diabetic you know, leg ulcers go away. Wow. And his he leg gets healed. And he's walking again. And he, it saved him having the leg. <laughs> okay. amputated. So why did I bring that up? Oh, be- <laughs> I forgot why I'm talking about that. <laughs> what you were, the physicians and what the Oh, yes. Yeah. So I want every doctor in America <laughs> to know that this is an option for their patients who are sickly before they get to that. But you know what I'm saying. That doctors right. should know this is part of their toolbox. Someone shouldn't yeah. have to be in that desperate situation. Yes, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. So what would you tell physicians who may be listening to this or their, their patients are saying, what is this, Dr. Furman? What do you think? What, what would be the message that you would want to tell a physician who is new to this this thought of using the nutritarian diet or something like this. Right. Well, you know that I um, think that doctors are not well enough educated in nutrition in medical school, and they should, and I'm really hoping they, um, that this motivates them to read and learn more about this because it gives them the power to help their patients more effectively and to counsel them more appropriately. Mm-hmm. So I think I'd love doctors to read my book, The End of Heart Disease, The End of Diabetes, and to get some familiar with some of my work. I mean, after all, their, their career is dedicated to and their lives are dedicated to helping other people, and they should know all the means available to do so, especially these new aggressive programs for nutrition that are so effective and proven effective. And, I, and obviously, um, um, I published a study in the American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine in October of 2015 that showed the average blood pressure was dropped 20, average systolic blood pressure in over 450 patients dropped 26 points. That's more powerful than medications. Oh, by you, far. You know, so we're talking about more powerful options here than medications. And, and so every patient they see may not be a candidate to come into our center, but they should know this exists as an option, and they should be, they should be talking to their patients about the option of using a, a nutrition, effective and safe at, um, nutritional care and to give the, so the patient has proper informed consent. And, you know, with the gastric bypass, you mentioned that making this obsolete. What would be... You know, because some patients are feeling like that's their last resort. So if they're morbidly obese and, and struggling, how would this make gastric bypass obsolete? Can you describe, you know, what the gastric bypass is doing and why this will work better than the gastric bypass? Because some people, I think, don't, they don't understand that difference. Right. I mean, gastric bypass, obviously, you're making it difficult for a person to overeat, but you're not removing their food addictions and their emotional and physical addiction to food. And eventually, they it only lasts for, for a limited period of time. And the people, first of all, you're hurting their health because they can't digest food and assimilate nutrients as well in the future. So even though you're helping them lose weight in the short run and maybe in the long run, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of failures so people don't get to their ideal weight in most cases. Mm-hmm. They still gain weight back after their initial loss. Mm-hmm. And they're still having to eat a diet with, how should I say it, they're absorbing less nutrients from the food they're eating. So they're keeping them chronically malnourished, always craving to eat more food. They're in, you're trying to make, they're uncomfortable to eat more food, true, mm-hmm. but they're poorly nourished. It increases the risk of dementia in later life because of obviously the poor nourishment of the brain. Mm-hmm. It's not an ideal way to help people. Right. Um, it, it shows the failure of the, diet, of the diet programs that people are given. It shows the lack of technology and the lack of um, educational skills to be able to teach people how to get rid of food addiction. It shows the, the deficiencies in people because they resort to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was went to this meeting once where one of the leading nutritional researchers in the world, um, David Jenkins from Canada, mm-hmm. he got up to, a, to a, a, a physician conference that I was part of, 
And he said to the participants in the conference, he said, we find that about 20% of people who learn about this information to reduce cholesterol and reverse blood pressure and reverse their diabetes will actually utilize the program, where 80% will not because they were too food addicted. And, and, I, and I got up and said, you know, just because our experience and your experience is that 20% of people do it and 80% do not do it once when they learn about it, doesn't mean that that's a fixed number. That speaks to our in, in, inadequate ability to teach, to motivate, to educate, and to, and to give people the right tools they need to be successful. That's, that's just, that shows our poor ability to take people and transform them emotionally, intellectually, and psychologically to be able to do this, mm -hmm. that only 20%. So the point I'm making right now, of course, is that with the right tools in place, which we've been developing these tools over the years, mm -hmm. we, can get a, we can get a large number of people, the vast majority of people, to be successful with this. It makes all the difference in the world. Having the knowledge that people can't do is not successful. We have to have the knowledge to make people want to do it, can do it, enjoy doing it, and willing to stick with it the rest of their life. And that's the, pictures of the picture of the puzzle we're putting together now. Right. And uh, that's very true. I mean, because just because someone, like a lot of doctors, when you say, well, why wouldn't you? She goes, well, those patients aren't going to want to change their diet anyway. I was like, well, how do you even know? You're not even giving them the opportunity to make that decision. And that goes back to the informed consent that you were describing. Can you de describe to us what that actually means when you say patients aren't being given the informed consent? Right. It means that if people really knew all the potential risks associated with what they're doing, if they're put on blood pressure medication and, and cholesterol-lowering drug, are they told that, that lowering your blood pressure with this medication the first six months may double your risk of having a fall needing a hip fracture, really getting a hip fracture? Are they told that the medication, that lowering your systolic blood pressure, your, to lower your systolic blood pressure safely into a safer range for your brain, it'll most likely require medications that'll push your diastolic to an unfavorable level, increasing the risk of atrial fibrillation because the heart can't get enough blood flow during diastole when the heart is relaxing and refilling, pushing the blood pressure too low, makes you don't get enough oxygen during the, because that's when the coronary blood vessels fill, so now you can develop an irregular heartbeat, so we have to be careful mm -hmm. with that. The, so they're, they're not telling the person that the use of these drugs could be doubling the risk of breast cancer and the, and the doubling the risk from calcium channel blockers, for example, in medical studies, is independent of the doubling the risk of invasive breast cancer from statin drugs, that when you combine them, we don't even know what kind of risk that causes synergistically. Wow. So, the, so people aren't giving the risks of the medications, and they're not told, told about how ineffective they are to prevent strokes and heart attacks in their future. Right. Now, if people knew how effective a nutritarian diet could be, mm -hmm. and they knew that with time, their food preferences and tastes will develop and change, right. they actually will prefer to eat this way mm -hmm. or could like it just as much. Right. And they could wipe out the possibility of having a heart attack or a stroke or getting demented in their future mm -hmm. and reduce the risk of cancer by more than 90%. Why wouldn't, so, and they knew how dangerous and ineffective the drugs are. In other words, people aren't getting anywhere near informed consent. Right. There could be many, many more millions of people. Think about all the millions of people who would choose to do this who would not get breast cancer. Mm -hmm. If they knew all the data, and we knew right. all the information they were supposed to know. And if they learned all this information, if they were trained properly in the school systems and they really became experts in human nutrition mm -hmm. and, and, and also knew the risks, the true risks of medications that are being hidden from them. Right. So that's right. Informed consent would make for a completely different outcome. Could you speak to the statin drugs? And, you know, because some people think that once they've never had a heart attack. But they, so their, their doctor puts them on the statin drug, and now they have this false sense of security that they're going to never have a heart attack, that that protects them. Can you describe to them how, you know, statins have found 
they, they actually proven studies not to decrease your risk of having a heart attack unless you've already had a heart attack. That will slightly. Can you speak to that? Right. Well, a little bit. But the point is, is that I always say, you know, make the joke that you bring, bring your car to the mechanic mm -hmm. with the oil light flashing on the dashboard, and he reaches in there with a wire clipper and cuts the, <laughs> the wire to the dashboard, and now you, what's going to happen? You're going to drive the car with no oil. Right. What these drugs mostly do, and the major problem with the drugs, is they give people the false sense of security to think they're okay now. Mm -hmm. And your cholesterol, your LDL cholesterol number, is just one of about 20 different parameters that discern your risk of having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And by just looking at that one parameter and seeing it's better now, doesn't take away your risk of heart disease by much, because right. there are so much other factors that influence that. Right. And you can't lower the inflammatory response, reduce the risk of clotting, smooth the intravascular abnormalities, restore intravascular elasticity, reduce the... You can't fix everything with a statin drug. Mm -hmm. And so it might lower risk a little bit in certain populations at very high risk, mm -hmm. but it also increases risks. Mm -hmm. It increases your risk of diabetes. Mm -hmm. It increases risk of weight gain. It makes it so you get fatigued when you exercise. You, what are you... You're taking a drug that's going to cause you to become diabetic and cause you to gain weight to reduce your risk of heart attacks? This is insane. Right. You know, this is insanity. Don't, don't you want something that's going to help you lose weight? Not that it make you gain weight. Don't you want something that's going to lower your risk of diabetes? So you wanna, you're you making it pack with the devil. Right. Okay, you'll get a little better in your cholesterol, but you'll get worse in your diabetic parameters. Well, don't, wouldn't it be better to get better in both parameters? Right. Well, then people would have to change the way they eat. God forbid they do something like that. <laughs> it, can't, it can't be that simple. But, you know, right? a doctor um, could more easily write a prescription than he can spend a half hour trying to convince a patient with information. Right. Because the model of medical care where the doctor spends 10 minutes with a person and writes a prescription doesn't fit for nutritional medicine. Right. And you know, giving people informed consent doesn't fit either. Mm. So we have to really have – so medicine works best when you have uninformed, uneducated people following authority mm. without knowing what they're doing. Mm. And that's where we have a medical system that is relatively ineffective where we can land a man on the moon – but we can't stop cancers and heart disease when we really can. Right. You know, it's just we, we have a, a social and economic delivery system that doesn't work. So what do you think is happening now? So we have these kids that are being raised in this environment here in America. What do you feel is their future that, you know, our children now that are in their teens and early 20s, what is their future outlook compared to our, you know, or the generations that are in their 40s or 60s? I mean, what is... What are we doing to them by feeding them this food? Well, you know, you might be aware that the fast food industry um, really expanded tremendously after, the, after World War II. Mm -hmm. And where people went off to war, the U.S. government and the Army um, made food that can be packed up and travel with people in the field. And live on, you had to feed the Army, and you had to have a Spam and, and Twinkies and Devil Dogs and, you know, all kinds of soda. And you had concentrated calories that people could get in small packets on the, f on the, on the battlefield, so mm -hmm. to speak. Came back after the war, and these food industries developed out of one of these, f these frankenfoods that we made for, for to use during the war, and we started having fast food restaurants opened up in soda. Consumption started increasing, and people started eating more junk foods and processed foods, and then they found that people were getting sick, so they made it so they would add vitamins and minerals made from petroleum um, you can say vitamin pills that were made for it were synthetic mm -hmm. into the processed food so people wouldn't get floridly so sick and wouldn't de develop pellagra and get you know deficiencies and get get emotionally crazy and so we but it didn't work because we're finding out today that you know we can keep people so they're not acutely ill 
But then we have chronic diseases that develop. You can't fool Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. So now we have a population since the 1950s, and this is obviously 70 years later, almost uh, 65 years later, right. where we have the most overweight, sickly population in the history of the human race. We have diabetes developing at younger and younger ages. We used to see type 2 diabetes in people in their 50s and 60s. Now we see people in their teens. Mm -hmm. We have nursing homes opening up across the country who take care of children, teenagers, and people in their 20s and 30s who have strokes today who can't no longer be m mobile or talk normally because they've had strokes. Right. We, have, we have demented p dementia occurring at younger and younger ages. We have people becoming relatively, how should you say it, um, they no longer are mobile and they can't take care of themselves and they can't no longer have their full mental faculties at younger ages flooding nursing homes across the country. Mm. So we're having a tremendous stress put on the younger the younger people trying to take care of their parents now because we're seeing the effects and it's getting worse and the explosion of sick people is continuing to climb and expand as t you know there's a lag time between the explosion of the processed food industry and the fast food industry with all the problems we're seeing today mm. and it's you know we have to learn from history right and we've at the same time as the nu as nutritional science has advanced to seeing the, how what humans need and require for good health. While that's occurring, the processed food and fast food and commercial food industry has taken over people's addictions and their food preferences and their minds. So it's hard now to reach these people. Mm. And, and our population is paying a price and our health economy is paying a price. And you can't sell, solve this with Washington, with a decree, with laws. We can't have any kind of health care system that can work because there's too many sick people and, the, and trying to fix people after they've fallen off a cliff doesn't work. Right. And we can never afford this many sick people. We can't afford to do all these needless medical tests on people and everybody gets CT scans and MRIs and hospitalizations and all these. It doesn't work. The only way we can give good health care to people and make it affordable and have a high standard of living in this country is if we improve the health of the population so the med less medical care is needed. Mm -hmm. There's no other way that will work. Right. I mean, change our food system, basically. We have to change our food system, and people have to le learn differently. Right. And so we, our food system is now governed by the processed food industry, and, and, and the lobbyists to affect Washington decision-making is just not working. It can't work. Right. You know, so, but in the long run, you know, the people that, the, you know, the government and, you know, um, hospitals and unions and businesses that pay for insurance for their co-op, for their team members realize that they can't afford it. Right. And they're looking for uh, solutions. Right. And we're in a, we're in a um, window right now right. where people are looking for solutions to solve this crisis that we developed. Mm. And it, it penetrates our inner cities. And we have, and the bad diet along the country is related to violence and intellectual, um, low intellectual achievement and lack of graduating, lack of reaching the American dream and even we're s and even saying drug addiction and criminal behavior is linked to the fast food industry and drinking soda and sweets and all the junk and, and the bad and, and not giving a brain, brain proper nutrition. So the, how should I say that the overall fallout from the fast food and the processed food industry and bad nutrition is overwhelmingly affected our society in so many negative ways that people can't even comprehend. Right. I, it, it's overwhelming and almost paralyzes you. At a, at a point, but you know, you can just do what you can do. Right. And, you know, as a, as a mom and a doctor is taking care of your family, starting there and then the ripple effects that occur from that. So if someone made you, said, Dr. Joel Furman, today you are now Surgeon General of the United States, what would be the first decree that you would bestow upon us? What would you recommend that we do? 
Well, you know, what, I'm, what I would recommend um, is not that crazy or far out or aggressive because other countries are even doing it now. Okay. Even the World Health Organization came out, and they're doing it in England and Belgium, and they're doing it in other countries today, and that is the first thing. There should be a tax on junk food and sugar, and, that's, and, the, and soda should be taxed, and a warning should be placed in those foods. And it's happening around the world, and it's recommended by the World Health Organization to do so. There's wow. a 20% tax recommended on the World Health Organization um, that's been advocated. And, and these laws may even pass in, this, in certain states in this country as well in the near future. Wow. Okay. Um, so I would, do, I would support that, and I would support an, an educational system about nutrition that's not based on what benefits our industry and the, and the food industry. I'd separate the food industry from being able to lobby government. Right. And I'd have people, scientists, work without commercial influence. influence. Right. And number three, I'd make it so that we would no longer give um, food subsidies to farmers that grow, that are making sugar and, um, and obviously um, that are subsidizing the meat industry and the dairy industry and the corn industry and the soy industry we, because, because people that make broccoli are not being subsidized. Right. Why should it only have certain farmers get subsidies and not others? Right. Why shouldn't they? Why shouldn't a person making kumquats, <laughs> kiwis, and broccoli and kale get the same subsidy as a person growing corn to feed the cattle? Right. Why is it only for the cattle industry? Right. It's only for the cattle industry these subsidies and the dairy industries because they have a powerful economic lobby. Right. You know. So we're, so I would so I change the financial disincentives, and I give people who are using food stamps who are getting commercial or getting um, help from the government, mm -hmm. we'd give them more food and more stamps mm -hmm. if they utilized healthier choices and healthier... Like double their stamp value. Yeah, and they do mm -hmm. that in New York today. Mm -hmm. In New York, so this is not, these, these ideas are not all original because yeah. in New York State today, Mayor Bloomberg started a program where when people spent their food stamps or they're in farmer's markets Snap. on produce, mm -hmm. the right, they would get an extra dollar for every $5 mm -hmm. they spend if they made healthier choices versus unhealthier choices, which is a great idea. So I, there's a lot of great things we can do that aren't ideas emanating from me, but that actually have been tested around the country and around the world today that are very, very effective. Right. That would make a lot of sense. That, that, right. Exactly. So then you speak of education. What does that look like when you, when you think of an educational system that's going to transform an American generation? Where would you start with that education, and what exactly would that look like? If, uh, if, you know, is it a child in a classroom? Is this a high yes, school? Yes, yes. You, you need to start nutritional education with children in classrooms. Okay. In, in kindergarten and first grade. Okay. Because that's where people start learning about. They learn about in elementary school the danger of smoking cigarettes. We start to teach them about not using drugs um, when they're young, and we have to talk to them about the addictive potential of fast food and processed foods. And parents and young children right mm -hmm. now get rewarded. For if they go and play soccer, the parent mm -hmm. gives them a donut. Right. Why, well, don't play soccer then if you're going to poison your kid with a donut. Why don't you just give them whiskey and a, and a, and a, <laughs> a cigarette and a cigar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. so would you encourage maybe an educational program, teach their teachers, the, you know, that, you know, these yes, kids, these young women and men who are becoming our teachers, teach them about the nutrition that they can teach those kiddos, which one will help their behavior that's scores. right. So that's right. When you have people that are being trained to be teachers, mm -hmm. we, if we train teach nutrition in the classrooms, you have to actually teach the teachers how to teach nutrition. And right. so that, that's right. This has to permeate and be integrated with the education that are given in all stages of life. And we have people now graduating from high school, college, 
and we have people graduating from professional schools, even physicians who know nothing about nutrition. The one mm -hmm. most important thing they could have learned that's important for their own survival. Mm -hmm. And doctors pass away prematurely of strokes and heart attacks and, and get cancers. And I have doctors that come to me as patients who are very sickly and very sad, tragically ruined their careers and mm. are, are too sick to continue practicing and have, wow. you know, and I take care of these doctors and I see a lot of them, you know, I don't charge them because they're physicians. You just give them like personal, um, what's it called? Um, Concierge care. No, it's, <laughs> it's, um, you're basically giving them a professional, professional, professional courtesy, courtesy right? Mm -hmm. Professional courtesy, but you're, but my, but every person that suffers needlessly and, and these physicians, they wanted to have learned this when they were younger. Right. And these people that are, that are, how should I say, challenged economically, right? who don't have as much money, right? they w are upset. They wanted to learn this when they were younger. Right. They feel bad that they were never taught and given a chance to make the right decision because right. nobody told them about this right. until it got too late, until they had an amputation or until they got blind or until they had cancer or they had something. They would have loved to know this earlier because the choice has been taken away from them. Right. We have to give people the choice. So if you don't, you know, if you want to smoke cigarettes, I'm all for you having that right. But you shouldn't have been told cigarettes were good for you your whole life right. and until something bad happened and then told it bad. Right. You've been told all along it was a bad choice, and then whatever choice you make, it's okay. Right. So, in other words, we we have to change the way people are educated and informed because they're just so confused, and we have they're so misinformed. So, if you have a patient that comes in, or, or you meet someone, and you inform them about the nutritarian diet or a healthier way of eating, mm -hmm. but they're young and healthy, and they're like, you know, whatever, I I don't have time for this. How do you approach someone like that, or do you just feel like you've done your dil diligence by just informing them? Is there anything else that you speak to them about or, you know, what do you say to someone like that who's just maybe not ready to take that change, but what is your message to someone like that? Is it, do you say it's just a matter of time or, or what do you say? Well, you know, I raised four children and I have my, my children's friends and I've been, you know, that most people are interested in learning. Okay. There's part of the human existence that really is ongoing learning and and wanting to expand your horizons and learn more about things is, is, is built into us to a degree. And this is a very fascinating subject. Yeah. And it's not people, um, whether they do it initially or not and jump into it with both feet, it doesn't mean you shouldn't learn about it. Mm. Because you, with enough learning, they usually do make the right decisions. Mm -hmm. And when they're making the wrong decisions, it's usually because they haven't learned enough about it. They think they know enough, but they don't really know, know enough about it. Hmm. So the question is, you know, why is this person not interested in learning more? It's not about convincing them to do anything. Mm -hmm. Just have them learn the information. Mm -hmm. You know, we should all learn basic history, you right. know, reading skills, writing skills. We have to learn basic nutritional skills and, right. learn thing, and learn the effects of what you do. Right. You know, so what are your risks of having being demented when you're older or getting cancer? if you eat a standard American diet, and what would your risks be accordingly if you ate a nutritarian diet? Mm -hmm. You should know the numbers. Mm -hmm. You should know the probability of developing serious disease might be and the probability of, leaving your of losing your life before the age of 70. Right. You know, wow. the average American woman weighs 168 pounds. That means half of all people, weigh half of all women in America weigh between 168 and 300 pounds. Wow. And by the time they're 60 years old, the majority have breast cancer. Wow. You know, the mammogram wouldn't be positive, right. but the test that can determine these new... Um, liquid oh. biopsies that okay. can determine it in the bloodstream now we're finding out can detect it earlier. Um, what's the name of that test? It's, well, there's a few tests available in okay. the marketplace today. Okay. Yeah. So if someone's interested in looking, is that something that 
is there a research protocols or somewhere that they can go to see if they can get the blood test done? Well, the problem is, is I don't want to advocate people get this test done because yet. Okay. Like, for example, because I do it in my practice mm -hmm. because I feel that in some cases people um, have a something suspicious. They want to ascertain whether it's cancer or not. But mm -hmm. really it's because they're not following the program like they should be. Mm -hmm. And if they knew they really had cancer, it makes it so they follow the program 100%. They do the right protocol. They take the right supplements, do everything right, and it could save their lives. Motivator. So I want them to know. Mm -hmm. It's a tremendous motivator to know. Okay. But for the majority of people, well, they're conventional doctors who are going to then get them scared they have cancer, and they're not going to know about this they approach that could reverse do. it. Mm -hmm. They're not going to know what to do. They're going to start giving, cutting off people's breasts or taking out their prostates. Mm -hmm. or doing, they're going to get them too alarmed. They're not going to want to do it. Right. I don't want to. I want to only position this as an, op as an option for the properly educated people. I don't right. want just the general public to start thinking they need to know this, getting this test done. Right. It's like no. taking people who have genetic uh, yeah. You know, like the BRCA gene, and someone's going ahead and taking, doing a mastectomy, a prophylactic. A mastectomy like, and ovoforectomy. Right. Right. Before they, right. They, so it's the same thing. I don't want people to get too excited. But right. it, the point that, I, that it's important to make in this, in this podcast is that if you eat like other Americans, right. you get what other Americans get. Right. And that means that you don't need a test to show you have cancer. Mm -hmm. If you're an American, mm -hmm. you probably either have cancer or you're at a, pre, a stage before cancer is going to develop, but if you live long enough, you're going to get cancer, but now's the time, no matter what the test shows. Right. Now's the time to start fixing it and eating right. It's never too early right. to start eating right and taking care of your health. So what do you tell people? Because you know you can tell people that. They go, well, I knew someone who smoked and drank and ate this way, and they lived to be 102. You know, I, there's always those, uh, you know, my yeah. cousin's uncle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. um, what do you say to those type of things? Do you say, like, I tend to say, just say, well, you know what? Um, that's not the majority of America. But it seems that everyone has one of those stories. What is your usual response to that? Well, the, I, we talk about the bell-shaped curve being wide or narrow. Hmm. In other words, if the average American, let's say, dies, let's just rank a round number, okay? okay. Let's see, because it's about 78 to 80. Let's say it's 80 years old. The average okay. American dies at 80. And the bell-shaped curve is wide, that half the people die between 60 and 80, and the other people die between 180, okay. right? So that right. means half the people are dying between 60 and 80. Right. And the curve is very wide. Right. So a lot of people die between 60 and 70 in the wide curve that's shaped like a bell. Right. right? But now on a nutritarian diet, the curve doesn't just move 15 to 20 years into the future. Mm. It doesn't just move to around 96 to 98, but also narrows considerably. Hmm. So now you don't have people dying at 60. You have people living, even the people that don't live to be 98 might die in their early 90s. You know what I'm saying? That the right. point is, is that even the people with weaker genetics do mm. very well. Okay. And you don't have as wide of a curve. So at least we guarantee people are able to enjoy most of their later years. Right. And also the, qu the quality of their life in their later years. And even able to fully enjoy their life because they have their full physical and mental faculties intact right. is what's very, very critically important. You age slower. Right. You feel better. You can live your life and enjoy life much more fully. You're not an onlooker to life, but a, but a full participant in life oh. because you're in better health through your later years. So basically, you live long, die quickly. Yes. <laughs> but you die quickly much later. Much later. Yeah. Much later. And so that was uh, incredible. Um, is there anything else in, in the final moments of the podcast that you would give uh, advice to the anyone out there that's listening or any last message that you feel is important to share? Yeah, I, I would like to say one thing, and that's we think traditionally of nutritional therapy for people who are overweight or obese or diabetic, but we don't recognize that there are so many people with autoimmune conditions and other conditions that respond to nutritional therapy. People that die of lupus, 
right. who could get well with the right kind of nutrition. Right. People that suffer with rheumatoid arthritis or psoriasis their whole life who could get better with nutrition with excellent nutrition. Right. And these people aren't told about this either. Right. So we're not talking just about people with diabetic on blood pressure medications. We're talking about people with a slew of conditions that are not normally thought of as being nutritional in origin, including asthma and things like that, that I watch people get better. From. ADHD. Yeah, yeah, so we're talking here about a, a broad spectrum mm -hmm. of conditions that we can help people. Okay. And that's, I think, that, and, and that's hopeful to people to let them know that they don't have to be sick for the rest of their lives. They don't have to be on medications for the rest of their lives. For mm -hmm. most people, the vast majority of people can get well because oh. the body is a miraculous self-healing machine when you give that optimal environment for healing, you put that in place. Right, absolutely. I think that's the most important uh, message for sure. Well, Dr. Furman, thank you for your time. I know you've had a long day, and I, I do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. My pleasure. All right. <laughs>